Okay. Welcome to the DNA of creation. Today we're going to be talking about Parsis Yisro, which is one of the most famous Torah portions in the Torah. Famous more specifically because of what's in it, what we receive in this week's Parsha, which is the Ten Commandments. And for those of you who are listening, we just named uh, nine. We're missing, or we just named eight. We're missing two. So guys, we're missing two commandments. We came up with the five between people and people on the left side. The commandments were written on two different tablets. The left side were between people and people. That includes not to be jealous, not to adulter, not to steal, not to murder, and not to make false witness, not to lie in court. What about the ones between us and God? So we came up with don't do idolatry, keep Shabbos, honor your mother and your father. We got two more to go. Anyone? Okay, that's idolatry. Idolatry. Excellent. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't use God's name vainly, whatever that means. Don't just say God's name. One of the reasons that we we uh, don't actually pronounce God's name, as it's written in the Torah, is because of that. And there's one more that you guys are missing, and that's totally fine that you're missing because it's really the the topic of today's class. Okay. Oh, oh, excellent. Rebecca, you're on to something. You're on to something, but I want to say, I want to tell you that it's not so simple. Okay. The first of the Ten Commandments is a debate amongst the medieval rabbinic scholars. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Okay. So hold the thought. We'll come back to it. So in this week's Parsha, Yisro, who is the father-in-law of Moshe, who was a priest of Midian, he was an idolater, comes and joins the Jewish people, and according to most opinions, converts, becomes the first convert to Judaism. And the Torah recounts why Yisro decided to join the Jewish people now. I want to share with you some of the things that it says. It says that Yisro the father-in-law of Moshe heard everything that God did to Moshe and, the, and Israel, his people, that God took them out of Egypt. And Rashi is a little bit bothered by what exactly did Yisro hear about God taking them out of Egypt? Something specific. What specifically did he hear? And Rashi tells us two things. He heard about the splitting of the sea. And the war with Amalek. Amalek is a nation who is the sore enemy of the Jewish people. It's a topic that is the right time of year to discuss because the Purim story, which is coming up in less than a month, is all about the Jews versus Amalek. Because Haman, the arch enemy of the Jewish people in the Purim story, was a descendant from the tribe of Amalek, from the nation of Amalek. Amalek was the first nation to attack the Jewish people. And they stand philosophically, ideologically against what Judaism stands for. We'll discuss that in just a few minutes. So now, Rashi says, we continue in the verse. And 
it said, Yisro says, now I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods because of the thing that the Egyptians conspired to do to them. And again, we need to look to Rashi to understand what the verse is talking about. And Rashi points out that what Yisro is teaching us is a very, very important spiritual and philosophical concept called Mida Keneged Mida. You guys familiar with the concept of karma in Hinduism? So what's the concept of karma? What goes around comes around. Exactly. So in Hebrew, that's called Mida Keneged Mida, which means literally measure, opposite measure. What you put out comes back to you. And this is one of the most important principles of life because when bad things happen to you it's your fault stop complaining and introspect and ask yourself what did i do to bring this into my life when you put negativity out it comes back question You mean so 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 Becca, just to just to clarify one thing, and this is important, it doesn't always mean you did it in this lifetime. Sometimes you did it in a past lifetime. So we don't always we don't always have the tools to understand, but sometimes we do. It's it's not reprimanded. There's no punishments in life. Nothing is a punishment. Everything is a consequence in order to help you to improve yourself. Because it's to re it's to teach us to improve. Again, either either it's a it's so to speak a suffering in order to somehow cleanse us to get rid of the bad that we did or it's a lesson. Uh, meaning something bad happens to you in order to teach another person? Then why do you have to suffer? It has to, it has to somehow, it has to somehow have something to do with you. Nothing's random. If you're suffering, So I, I, I believe I believe that there's there always has to be something personal in it also. I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, there's a story of um, somebody who came to the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. He said, I don't understand how reincarnation works. Can you explain it to me? And the Baal Shem Tov says, go to such and such a, uh, a place and hide in the bushes and watch what happens. So he goes... And he hides in the bushes and he sees a guy come and with a sack of gold coins, sit down by a tree and take a nap. Then he sees another guy come, 
grab the gold coins and disappear into the woods. Then a third guy comes. The guy wakes up. He says, where's my coins? And he starts beating the third guy who he thinks stole his coins but really didn't. So the guy comes back to the Baal Shem Tov. He says, this is crazy. It's totally not fair. This guy got beat up for nothing. He didn't steal the money. And the Baal Shem Tov says, now I want to explain to you. In a past life, the guy who stole the money, he had money stolen from him. By who? By the guy that got beaten in this story. So, and he said, what about the guy who had his money stolen? So he was, I don't remember the whole story right now, but I think he was a judge who ruled wrong in the previous lifetime and gave the money to the guy that didn't deserve it. And basically everything evened out. So there is more to our life than meets the eye. But back to our topic. So Rashi says, what did Yisro see that inspired him to come and join the Jewish people? So Yisro says, now I know that God is greater than all the other gods because he did to the Egyptians exactly that which they conspired to do to the Jews. What does that mean? Says Rashi, the Egyptians tried to punish the Jews with water. They took the firstborn boys. So Paro, Pharaoh had uh, astrologers who predicted that the Jews would have a savior who would be born, who was a boy, and would take the Jews out of Egypt and out of slavery. So Paro decreed that all the firstborn boys should be thrown into the Nile River. So says Rashi, the Egyptians attempted to kill the Jews with water, and they themselves were punished with water at the splitting of the sea. And then Rashi says a metaphor, it's the pot that they tried to cook us in, they were cooked in. And that's essentially the idea of Mita Kineg Mita and Karma. When you put negativity out, you get negativity back. When you put positivity out, you get positivity back. And remember that everything is a lesson. It's all here to teach us to perfect ourselves to become better. So if you think about it, if God were to do things randomly, we wouldn't ever learn. But the fact that there's there's a key, there's a clue. When something bad happens to you, you burn your tongue on hot tea. So maybe think for a second, did I use my tongue improperly today? Did I speak badly about someone? Did I speak harshly to someone? Yes, Julia. Want to wait till the end if it's totally random? Can't hear you. Wait till the end. Okay. So, by the way, just another thing to mention, the Talmud says that if you stick your hand in your pocket to pull out like a, a quarter and you accidentally pull out a dime, so that itself is considered suffering that purifies you from the things you've done wrong. And the Talmud says whenever something bad happens to you, even as small as reaching into your pocket to pull out a quarter and then accidentally pulling out a dime, you should think to yourself, thank you, Hashem, for this inconvenience. Please let it be a kapara. Let it purify me from the things I've done wrong. When you accept bad things with love and recognize that it's for your good, 
it does a tremendous amount to help you spiritually. So as opposed to complaining, cursing, getting in a bad mood where bad things happen to you, say, thank you, Hashem, I know this is for my good somehow. Either it's a lesson for me to learn or it's an opportunity for me to go through a little bit of an inconvenience to purify me from something that I did wrong. So that is the Jewish attitude to suffering. There's obviously a lot more to talk about there. Okay? So now we're on the topic of karma, mita kenegamita. Bad things happen that because you put them out. We have to introspect and examine ourselves. Essentially what Yisro is saying is he saw a phenomenon. The phenomenon he saw is that the Egyptians were punished with water and they tried to kill the Jewish people with water. So there's a connection there. But that itself is not enough for Yisro to have joined, converted to Judaism. He saw something else as well. And that was the nation of Amalek. So without going into it too much, because we're going to talk about it before Purim, but just to tap, just to touch on it. Does anyone know what Amalek stands for spiritually in Judaism? The nation of Amalek, the, the arch enemy of the Jewish people. We're, we're, we're supposed to wipe them out completely. Good. Okay. Oh, excellent. Excellent. A Anarchy chaos. Amalek is the numerical value of the word in Hebrew, safek, which means doubt. Amalek's job, the Torah tells us, the word used to describe Amalek when they attack us is the word mikra, which has two connotations, really three connotations. One is that they cooled us off. The word kerach means ice. They tried to cool the Jewish people off. We were very excited in our belief in God, and they tried to get us to be not so excited about that belief. How did they do that? With the true meaning of the word mikra, which means happenstance. Amalek's mission is to tell us everything in life is a coincidence. There is no big picture. There is no purpose. Everything is chance, random, and chaos. There is no meaning to your life. There is no God running the show. Everything that happens is an accident. That's the message of Amalek. And they are the arch enemy of the Jewish people. We're commanded to wage war against them forever because our mission in this world is the exact opposite. To reveal to the world that everything that happens is purposeful. There are no coincidences. Everything is a direct communication between the creator of the universe, the infinite, and us. And that's really what the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, taught and emphasized that everything happens for a reason. The Baal Shem Tov used to say that when a leaf falls off a tree, it's because there was a worm on the ground praying for some shade. And the leaf lands directly on the worm. The Baal Shem Tov used to say, go out into the street and listen to the conversations that people are having in the street. Listen to the wagon drivers. And in, by listening to them, you're going to get messages from God. Because everything you hear and everything you see is a communication to you. And your interpretation, your understanding of the events that happen in your life is your 
mind's way of understanding God. It's because we each have our own unique way of understanding that communication. It's a communication for you. We can both hear the same thing. We can both see the same thing. We're not far off because it's, it's, it's for you. It's designed for you to understand. And if you truly, really and truly don't understand it, you can go to a rabbi, you can go to a prophet when we had prophecy and try to understand it better. But at the end of the day, you have the tools and the keys to, for the most part, understand the communications that are happening in your life because they're meant for you. <laughs> yes. So, like I mentioned, the the Chovetz Levavis written a thousand years ago has a whole chapter on believing faith in God that everything that happens to you is for the good. And he goes through different proofs and different examples and different uh, different explanations of why it is incumbent upon us to live life of total tranquility and total joy and peace because everything that happens to us for a reason. But that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle with it on a regular basis. It's a muscle that you have to condition yourself to believe. I go to my rabbi sometimes when bad things happen. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I don't believe in God anymore. And he says, Gabriel, God loves you. Everything's okay. I guarantee in a few weeks you're going to come back in my office and you're going to be blown away how everything worked out. You know. So my rabbi told a story um, this Shabbos that just happened. Okay, hot off the press, true story. He had a guy who was a wealthy guy who made a pledge to the shul to give a certain amount of money every month. And because of the pandemic, he did not succeed in his investments this year. And not only did he not succeed, but he was counting on a certain bonus that he gets each year when he hits his, his uh, investment requirements. And he, wasn't, he didn't make it this year, so he was losing out on a few few hundred thousand dollars that he was expecting and he of course the first thing that he cuts is his his charity giving right if you're not making enough money so you're not going to give away money so he goes to the rabbi and he says rabbi you know i'm not making it this year i'm not going to be uh, giving you those pledges that i told you i would give and the rabbi said you're making a mistake he said that's the thing you should continue to give you should continue to do that and things will work out if you start cutting corners in your charitable giving, then I can't guarantee things are going to work out for you at the end of this year. And the guy said, "What, Rabbi, listen, I got to be responsible to my family. My rabbi loves making fun of people who say that they have to be responsible because he says there's no such thing as being responsible in this world. Responsible is doing your spiritual duties. That's what it means to be responsible, not worrying about your finances and about uh, – uh, about your whatever again he's a little bit extreme in this i'm not saying that you shouldn't care about your finances judaism that i understand is that you also have to be financially responsible and take all the measures that we have to take in a real normal world while recognizing that god runs the show but anyway so the rabbi wasn't so happy with him and and that was the end of the story the guy comes back to him last tuesday and he said rabbi i'm it's even worse than i thought i really literally i'm not I have nothing. He said, what do I do? And the rabbi said, the rabbi said, the guy's clearly upset. I'm not going to tell him 
give him, make him feel bad. So the rabbi said, I'm sorry. I feel so bad for you. Nothing. I, can, I can't tell you. I don't know. And the guy said, come on, rabbi. I know you know. What should I do? The rabbi said, you, you really want me to tell you? He said, yes. He, he said, you should honor your pledges. He said, I don't care. You don't have to give it to me. Give it to any organization in, in, the, in, in the world. Just make sure you give the money that you said you were going to give. And so the guy said, what, you want me to, I don't have any money. You want me to take out of my savings, out of my investments? The rabbi said, yes, take it out of your investments. You made a pledge. You got to follow through. So the guy did it. He gave the money and he comes into the rabbi's office Friday afternoon, right before Shabbos. He says, rabbi, you'll never believe it. The board met and they decided they're going to give me my $200,000 bonus, even though I didn't make the amount I was supposed to make this year, just because it's a hard year because of the pandemic. So he said, Rabbi, I want you to know I uh, I made the money I needed to make. So anyway, it's uh, again, does it always work out? No, it doesn't always work out. Now, if things don't look good, it means you're not at the end. It always works out in the end. In the end, it always works out. If it looks like you're going through a hard time, it just means you're not at the end. Stick around. Have patience. It's going to get better. Yeah. I was feeling inspired. I was feeling inspired and amazed the whole time. My family was freaking out. I was feeling fantastic. Ronnie, take care. Yeah. Of course, I had some low moments when I was angry at the people that probably got me sick or whatever. Yes, I had moments like that. But once, you know, once I got myself back on track, I said, this is an unbelievable blessing. I get the opportunity to sit here, to, to be surrounded by incredible friends, to pray all by myself with no distractions. This is an amazing opportunity for me to grow and build myself. And I came out feeling like a different person. Becca noticed it last week. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm inspired. I'm happy to be alive. I'm so thankful. I feel incredibly blessed. So every breath, the Talmud says, every single breath you take, you should say thank you. Yeah, 100%. Again, I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you do it every time. And we all struggle with it. But it's the goal in life is to continuously learn. And there's a lot of books written about it, Jewish books nowadays on tranquility, peace of mind. That is the goal of the Torah. If you truly believe in God, you will live a life of tranquility without jealousy, anger, arrogance, nervousness. None of that is coming from a good place. And if you need therapy, get therapy because, uh, you know, a goal of therapy for a lot of people, most of my clients suffer with, struggle with anxiety. And we're Jews. We all have anxiety, right? We, in, we inherited it from our, from the Holocaust and from the pogroms. We all have a little bit of anxiety. We got to deal with it. You got to learn tools and techniques to calm your anxiety because anxiety is caused by an illusion. It's caused by thinking about things that aren't in your control that are in the future and feeling like you have to be in control. But the greatest solution to anxiety, in addition to learning the techniques of therapy, which is deep breathing, focusing on the present, positive thinking, uh, changing your thoughts, right? In addition to reframing and all of those amazing techniques of therapy, Judaism has the most powerful technique. 
which is knowing that there is a creator who's running the show and you just have to let go. Let go and let God. You're not in control in this world. You have an amazing father who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, who has your best interests in mind. Just sit back and enjoy the show. Just focus on doing your best right now and fulfilling your obligations in this world and let him do the rest. I don't do therapy for my students. It's 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 uh, forbidden according to my license to do therapy with someone that I know. Okay, moving my right along. I want to share with you one other idea. I know we've done a lot already, but we got to do one other idea. Okay, the Ten Commandments. The first of the Ten Commandments is the following statement, and I want you to fill in the blanks. I am the Lord your God, who blank. What would you say if you were God introducing yourself to the entire nation? And by the way, this is one of the greatest proofs for the validity of the Torah, that God spoke to an entire nation. Very hard to make up that story. And there's books written about this. Happy to go through it with you at some point. But God spoke to an entire nation and said, I am the Lord your God. I am God. Who blank? What does God introduce himself as? What does it say on God's business card? God, and then what does it say underneath? What's his title? What do you say? Who created? Oh, wow, you're getting, which is it? Julia, what did you say? Say it again. Master of the universe, the creator of everything. That's what it should say, Becca. Come on. I don't want to know what it does say. I want to know what it should say. Yeah. What does God's business card say? What does God's business what does God's business card say? Okay. I am one. Okay. I said that today, by the way, Becca. Becca, I said that. Anochi Hashem Alokacha. I am the Lord your God. Anochi is your Iness, right? I am the Lord your God. So Hashem's telling you your ego, your Iness. At the core of it, that's me. Anyway, um, so it should really say, and the commentaries point out, it should really say, I am God who created the universe. But that's not what it says. Instead, it says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Why? Why is that God's title? The one who took you out of Egypt. Isn't it much more impressive that he created the world? Uh, we owe him. Wow, that's very good. Well, don't we owe him for having created the world also? Yes, we do. We do. We owe our parents eternally for having helped create us. So, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt from the house of slavery to be a God to you. So, I want to sh share with you some possible explanations. But before I do, I want to ask you another question. Is this a commandment or is it a statement? There's no commandment here. Thou shalt keep Shabbos. 
Thou shalt honor your mother and the father. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. I am the Lord your God. Do you see ten commandments there? I only see nine. Ah. So it's actually a debate amongst the medieval Torah commentaries. The Rambam, Maimonides, says it's the first commandment. First commandment in the book, Maimonides' book. See, this is the Rambam, Mishnah Torah, where the Rambam goes through all 600, 613 commandments. And the Rambam says, Becca, pay attention, you like the Rambam. The first mitzvah is that we should believe that there is no other God but Him. That's the first mitzvah the Rambam says. That's what the Rambam says. Believe, believe in one God. So the Ramban, Nachmanides, disagrees. Says Nachmanides, you can't command someone to believe in God. One second. If you don't believe in God before you read the book, you're not going to care about the commandments. It's like if I command you, right? The boogeyman commands you to believe in him. I'm like, there is no boogeyman. I don't care what he says. Says the, says the Ramban, there, you can't command someone to believe in you. You either believe or you don't. Belief in God is a prerequisite to the Torah. The commandments are meaningless if you don't believe in that first. It's not a commandment to believe in God. It's your oxygen. It takes, it takes, it's, it's the, it's the introduction to the Torah. It's a prerequisite to the Torah. If you don't believe that, you have bigger problems. You're not going to care about the other commandments in the Torah, let alone a commandment to believe in someone that you don't believe in, right? So, so that's the question. Is it a commandment or not? And if it's a commandment, what exactly is it a commandment to, to do? So Becca said to believe in God. It's just a statement, I am the Lord your God. But I want to share with you something crazy. There's actually another medieval commentator the Sefer Mitzvah's Katzer, who says that from this statement, we have an obligation to believe in Mashiach. We have an obligation to believe that there is a Messiah who's going to come and bring the world to its ultimate completion, to bring about world peace and unity on earth and the entire world to come and recognize one God. How do you get that from I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt? How do you get belief in the Messiah, in Mashiach, from that statement. What do you say? That what? Okay, but what's the connection with us coming out of Egypt? Ah, okay, redemption, good. Getting closer. Very good, I said that? That's good. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's amazing. So, says. 
Wow. So, wait, Julia, Julia, we're 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 recording. We're recording here. <laughs> so, should I put your should I put your phone phone number on? <laughs> so, I'm putting it everywhere. It's on my going on my podcast. All right. So now, what is the message of I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it's again like the indebtedness, so to speak. But th does that sound a little bit weird? Like, I freed you, now you got to do what I say. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So that, that's what I think the message here is. The message, the message is that God is telling us, I am with you. That I created the world is a fantastic, amazing, philosophical thing, but it means nothing to you on a personal level. It's irrelevant to me. I can know with absolute faith that God created the world and it will not change my life one bit. What's going to change my life is if I know that in the hardest, darkest places that I've been in my life, that God was with me and picked me up. I am the Lord your God who took you out of slavery. I am with you. I'm active in your life. I am running the show. There's a process of history, and I am behind the scenes in human history. Not only did I take you out of Egypt, but as Julia said, I'm going to take you out in the final redemption when I bring the world to its ultimate completion. Because it's not a random story. It's not a random story. It's his story. The process of history is his story unfolding. And he's bringing about a journey to a destination. Nothing is random. And says the Sefer HaChinuch, which is another ancient uh, commentary on all the mitzvahs of the Torah, says that from this statement we learn the following points. God exists. He's in charge. There are no coincidences in life. And he gave us the Torah. That's what he learns. No, listen, wait, wait, listen. He says as follows. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, which means know and believe that there is a God in the world. He's involved in the world. There were other philosophical systems in history, throughout history, that believed in a God who was a prime mover. Plato and Aristotle. God who started the Big Bang, who started the process of history, but was not actively involved. In fact, the founding fathers of America were deists. They believed in God, but they didn't believe that he was involved in our day-to-day -day life. Comes Judaism and brought home and emphasized by the Baal Shem Tov, everything from the most minute detail is all run with a master GPS system. There is nothing random. You have free will. You make one choice. The entire universe recalibrates to make sure everything happens exactly like it's meant to happen. Even though we have free will, our options of getting to a destination are not ours because we're always going to end up exactly where we're supposed to be. The only thing we really have free will, says the Talmud, is our moral choices. 
we have complete free will whether or not to do the right or wrong thing. We do not have free will on where we go in our life, who hurts us, whether we succeed in business. None of that has anything to do with us. The only thing in our control is our moral choices. As the Talmud says, Everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven. That's up to you. Yes. A hundred percent. Not when Mashiach comes back. When Mashiach comes, we don't believe he came already. Hard to say, hard to say. Um, Mashiach will reveal certain aspects of Torah which have not been here before, but he's not going to change the Torah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if there'll be another book written. I don't think so. I don't, not necessarily, not all of history is in the Torah. I mean, it is maybe hinted to in the Torah. But let me, let me finish the point and then we'll uh, we'll stop recording and we can ask ask questions, although I have to go in a minute. So the message is, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. I am with you in your darkness, in your suffering, in your trauma. I'm there. I am going to take you out. If it doesn't look good, it just means you're not at the end. In the end, it will be good because I love you. And I have a master plan for you. And everything that happens to you is to teach you a lesson because it's all Mita connected Mita. It's all with measure for measure to help you to be the best you, to help you to fix your mistakes, whether in this world or in the last, last life, in this life or in the last life. Everything that happens to you is a, with a purpose. And Yisro realized that. At the splitting of the sea, he saw the Egyptians were punished with water because they tried to hurt us with water. God is active communicating to us in our life through the things that happen to us in our life. But then that wasn't enough to make Yisro get up and join the Jewish people. Yisro had to see one other thing, and that was the war with Amalek. Yisro saw that there's a nation who wants to stand up against this concept that God is with us in our life against the concept that there are no coincidences. There's a nation who wants to cool us off. Rashi says a parable to someone who's taking a hot bath and some other guy wants to jump into the bathtub to cool it off. And he gets burned in the process, but he's willing to get burned in order to cool it off for everybody else. And that's a Malik. They, wanted, they, they were willing to sacrifice their lives to kill the Jewish people in order to kill really our enthusiasm and our faith in God. When, when Yisro saw that there's a power of Amalek in the world, he said, I have to join the Jewish people. It's not enough to believe. You have to take action. You have to put your action into, you have to put your belief into action because otherwise the force of Amalek, which is very strong nowadays, that everything's random, everything's chaos, nothing's with a purpose, will take over. And you're going to forget your inspiration. Your inspiration is going to fade very, very quickly. So that's why we have to, we have to get up and put it into action. We have to put our money where our mouth is. It's not enough to know there's a God. We have to live with that awareness. We have to live. That's the idea of mitzvahs, is that we're putting constantly our awareness of God into action. 
Giving charity every day is a statement of, I believe in God. I believe in God who's going to take care of me. Because if there's no God, you know, there's only one obligation in this world then, to take care of yourself. Without a God, just take care of yourself. Spend your life looking out for number one. But when there's a God, when you realize there's a God, I don't have to look out for myself. In fact, all I have to do is look out for others because I'm being taken care of. He's looking out for me. So that, that is my message for you today. And uh, let's meditate on it. Let's think about it. Let's try to put it into action in our life and recognize that we are incredibly fortunate to be here, incredibly fortunate to be alive. And there's so much goodness. Let's try to become connoisseurs of the goodness, to become experts in gratitude and appreciation. Let's start with our parents because they're the number one in our life who helped us get here. Try to go out of our way to thank them and appreciate them. And the same goes for our spouses. But uh, ultimately, it's all a tool and a lesson to learn to develop a relationship with the creator, to learn to show have appreciation for what he gives us. Because ultimately, this world is just a corridor to get to the next world. The next world is the place where we get to appreciate blissing out on connection to the infinite. And... Uh, Hopefully, we will all recognize that everything in this world is just an opportunity for us to build our next world. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, please join me on Tuesday for Striking a Balance, How to Find Your Purpose, Your Passion, and Work-Life Balance. You can uh, register for the class on uh, online. Ola Me, I think it's um, one second. It's olami.org slash o slash crash dot dash course. And um, check that out. And also on my podcast, we're doing work-life balance a few minutes every few days. So if you can't make it to the actual class, just tune into the podcast. And uh, I would love to join you. Please be in touch if you have any questions, comments, want to discuss any of the, these ideas one-on-one. -on -one. Have a wonderful Shabbos.